Welcome to the Mercy Commons podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that the Word of God encourages you and that the Holy Spirit empowers you. Um, in 2020, I had the privilege, I was in India, Nepal. I had the privilege of taking a little puddle jumper and flying around Mount Everest. And uh, I was able to see nine of the tallest mountains in the world in literally a one-hour trip. So if you want to do that, we are doing a trip to India and Nepal in February. We will definitely be doing that. More to come on that. But that's not the point of the story. Um, I remember that when I landed in, uh, in 2020, the whole world had lost its mind. Um, and so we started watching documentaries. Those of you that remember during COVID, everyone started watching documentaries. I watched this documentary called 14 Peaks. And, um, and I remember this guy called Nims Purja, who between April and October 2019 decided that he was going to climb the 14 tallest mountains in the world that were above 8,000 feet. I mean, 8,000 meters. 26,000 feet. So for a little perspective, what does the captain say when you've reached cruising altitude? Like 30,000 feet. That's, that's where you're at, you know, cruising altitude. So these are, are high mountains. So he was going to do this in seven months. He was going to climb all 14 peaks in seven months. The previous record was eight years. So he was going to do that. So spoiler alert, he did it, okay, those of you who want to watch it, and I, I, I would encourage you watching it, but when I watched that, there were a couple things that I recognized. It was both very inspiring and very frustrating. It was inspiring because of what a human being can do when they set their minds on something, but it was also frustrating because as we'll see in the next picture, um, what he did, he did because there was this culture that was developing amongst the climbing community about what it actually meant to climb a mountain. And the next picture is, is probably a little more indicative of what would happen. And so what would happen is you would have Sherpas that were Nepalese um, nationals, and they would take all of this equipment up to base camp. And then what would happen is rich white Westerners would literally walk from one camp to another. They wouldn't carry any of the oxygen, they wouldn't carry any of the equipment. And then you had Sherpas who would get up really early in the morning and they would set the lines and they would set the ladders. And so all of you that have seen these movies about people climbing up and hooking in and crossing ladders, someone had to do that. And they never get credit for any of this. And then you have this picture, which Nims took so he climbed Everest very, very early in the morning, and this is what Everest looked like on the day that he was descending. This is called the traffic jam at Everest. So this is where all the rich white Westerners wake up and decide this is the day where they're going to give their life meaning and purpose, and they're going to climb up um, a route that has basically been climbed for them. And I thought about how often the church resembles this kind of moment where there are people that are carrying way more than they should be carrying, and then there are people that are refusing just to carry the little 
um, that God has given them to carry. Today we're talking about bearing one another's burdens. Let's look at Galatians 6, verses 1 to 5. Brothers, if anyone is caught or overtaken in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he is something when he has nothing, he deceives himself. That reminds me of that picture. If anyone is some, thinks he's something when he has nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. Father, I just come before you. I want to thank you for the gift of your word. I want to thank you that it has remained powerful throughout centuries. I want to thank you that it is your Holy Spirit that produces change in us. And I ask for your Holy Spirit to anoint and lead me. And I ask for your Holy Spirit to make us um, receptive to change, to challenge, to encouragement and comfort in Jesus' name. When you look at this, you see the apparent contradiction. Okay, Paul, make up your minds. Are we supposed to bear one another's burdens, or are we supposed to carry our own load? The answer is yes. We are supposed to bear one another's burdens, and we are supposed to carry our loads. Now, this is where word study helps, because bear one another's burdens, that word means vari. It means something that is heavy. It means something that is not designed for a single person to carry on their own. Verse 5 says, each one shall bear his own load, and that word is forton, which is the backpack, a military backpack. And so there's a sense in which we understand the massive difference between what Paul is talking about, and there is no contradiction. What he's saying is, help one another with a burden that is too heavy to be carried by one person alone, but also take personal responsibility for that which has been given for you to carry. So how do we help one another while at the same time assuming a sense of personal responsibility with what God has called us to? I think the first thing we need to look at is trying to define what is it that burdens us? What are the things that make a weight too heavy for us to carry? And I would say one of the first things that burdens us is this idea of I am not good. And so we look at scripture in Psalm 38 Verse 4 to 5, the psalmist is saying, For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. My wounds are foul and festering because of my foolishness. There's a sense in which what he is communicating is there's this weight that he is carrying, and he's not blaming anyone else for that weight. He's saying, there is a weight that I'm carrying. There are wounds that I've experienced because of the way that I have responded. There are things that I have done that have meant that I'm in this situation. There are burdens where we need to help each other with, with regards to shame, regret, and guilt of the sins that we have committed. Now, guilt and shame, sometimes we package them together, but guilt and shame are a little different. Guilt is when I tell a lie. It's, it's the action of telling a lie. It's, um, it's this sense that I did something. But shame is much deeper than that. Shame is I am a liar. It is more connected 
to my nature. It is the difference between guilt being I did something and shame being I am something. And so what happens is the the guilt of the sin that is committed, if not shared, then becomes a heavier weight of shame. I I lied versus I am a liar. And so those are things that we need help to be able to carry those things. Shame can even be felt if you're not guilty. And specifically when you are degraded or sinned against. And when someone has sinned against you, you can feel the same level of shame. A lot of questions are asked by people when they've been hurt or where they've been wounded or where people have lied to them or cheated them. What is it about me that made this happen to me? It's, it's devastating. Not only have they been sinned against, but now they begin to take the shame on of that. And particularly in abusive scenarios, we find this where, where people are like, but what is it about me? What did I do to deserve this? And those are burdens that we need to help carry. Those are truths where we need to speak, sorry, those are lies where we need to speak truth into that person. We also One of the things we need to help each other understand is whether we're carrying guilt or whether we're carrying shame or whether we're just embarrassed. I was in a plane, it's a long story, I was by myself traveling from Athens to Boston and it, it was just a terrible scenario up until that place. I did not want to talk to anybody. Now I'm an extrovert, I like talking to people. I also really do believe that on a long flight, the person that God puts you next to is an opportunity for you to share something of yourselves. None of that. I wasn't having any of that. Um, It it was long ago. Those of you that are old enough to remember the horrible little um, headphones that that the uh, airlines would give you, I put that on immediately. I was not interested in the woman sitting next to me at all. As we come in for landing, they give you the landing cards for the United States. You've got to get your passport out. You've got to fill all these details in. And I'm like, okay, we've probably got like 45 minutes until we land. I can engage this woman in conversation, you know. And so she had a stack of passports. And so I said, are you coming to visit family? She said, yes. You know, my mom and dad and my sisters were coming to visit my cousins in Greece. I mean, from Greece to, uh, to the United States. And she's got all her passports open on her little tray table. And so I'm looking at the passport and I say, is that your dad? And she says, that's my mom. <laughs> so I took the headphones and I just, I just put the headphones. We didn't say anything to each other. That's where the conversation ended. I just took the headphones and just leaned my chair back and kind of like just stayed there. I don't feel shame or guilt about that. I feel embarrassed when I tell that story. I cringe. But one of the ways that we help people with the burdens that they carry is to help them understand what it is that they're carrying. You should feel no shame or guilt about this. If you have repented from this, even if you did commit a sin, you you should not be feeling this. And I'll talk a little later about how we can help one another with our burdens. The second burden that that most of us tend to carry, which we shouldn't be carrying, is this idea that God is not good. Now, most of us will, will admit that we don't really have this version of God as some dictatorial despot who's just waiting for us to fail so that, you know, he can exert punishment. Um... Most of us probably don't believe that God is silent, aloof, 
or removed from our lives, though we may go through seasons where it feels like that. We may even believe that God is good, that He's kind, that He's loving. We may even believe that God is powerful. But the problem is we may believe that God is like that for other people, but not for us. And so this idea of God is not good, and and most people that are Christ followers that have grown up within the context of the church, it's not that they have a slanted view of God. As most people, I would say in this room, if I were to say, to say theologically, tell me about the attributes of God, you could, you could knock off some of those attributes. He's good, he's kind, he's loving, he's powerful. But if I were to ask you, do you believe God is good to you? Do you believe that God listens to you? And that was something that I needed to come to terms with in terms of my view of God being theologically accurate but experientially inaccurate is where I would say, I believe God is good and kind. And I'm not experiencing that right now, but I still believe God is good and kind. And so that is one of the areas that we battle with. This is definitely more subtle and more difficult. This is like a very, very hidden burden. This isn't one of those big ones that you can see from a mile away. This is definitely more heavy but more difficult. And then thirdly, God's people aren't good. Remember last week, we spoke about how complicated community is because community is full of Gary's. Those of you who were here last week will remember that, okay? We also reminded each other that we are a Gary to probably someone else. And and Paul continues in the series of Scripture um, in verse 10. He says, therefore, as we have opportunity... Let us do good to all, especially to those of the, who are of the household of faith. And I spoke last week about the problem with hurts within the context of your blood family and within the context of your church family is because this is exactly what we should ex- be experiencing. We should be experiencing a sense of people wanting to do good to us. And, and it's, it hurts so much more when it's your own blood family. And it hurts so much more when it's your church family. I remember we, uh, we spent a year in Saudi Arabia, and, uh, and so I was drawing a picture, and my picture, when I look back on it, God had been pursuing me. My picture was of Joseph, Mary, and baby Jesus. Don't know why, never grew up in a Christian home, but I was drawing Joseph, baby, and Joseph, Mary, and baby Jesus, and I was about six years old. And I couldn't get Joseph's legs right. You know, I'd, I'd drawn Joseph, what I believed he'd look like, and Mary. So I went to my dad and I said, hey, dad, can you help me draw Joseph's legs? And then I went into my room to do something else. And I remember my brother was sitting next to my dad on the bed. And I came back and they were giggling and I couldn't figure out why they were giggling. And I came back and they'd drawn Joseph with a peg leg. Okay? <laughs> and they thought this was hilarious, you know. When I look back at it, it's pretty funny, right? <laughs> but not when you're six years old. And not when you ask your dad for help to draw this. And you are presented with Joseph Army Hardy, you know? And, like, I didn't know what to do with this for the longest time. My brother thought it was hilarious. And I just went along with it. I think this is funny. And then years ago, as I was praying, God brought that up to me. In, just in a moment, and said... I will never embarrass you if you come to me for help. And part of that is is we've all gone through these moments 
where our idea of family shapes the way in which we believe God is going to respond to us. All what happens to us in this community shapes that. I was talking to a pastor this week. We gathered with a group of pastors in Texas. And I said to him, you know, wolf bites, as shepherds, God calls us to protect the sheep from wolves. I said, wolf bites, they hurt, but they heal pretty quickly. What doesn't heal quickly are sheep bites. And so as a shepherd, there's a sense in which there's an expectation that you're going to be hurt by wolves. You don't necessarily have an expectation to be hurt by sheep. And so there are these moments within us, with our congregation, these are my people. These are people that love me and care for me. And that hurt, the sense of God's people are not good, begins to burden us even more so. One of the things we need to help each other with is this idea of intentionality versus something being unintentional. Unintentional hurt does hurt as much as intentional hurt, but the way that we overcome that is different to being intentionally hurt by someone. I know my dad didn't intentionally set out to hurt me in that situation. It hurt, but what I needed to focus my mind on is this was not an attempt to embarrass me. Did it embarrass me? Yes, but it wasn't an attempt to embarrass me. And that's a way that we can help one another. From the Gospels to the Epistles, there is direction. There are clear steps. This is what you are to do when someone has sinned against you. This is what you are to do if someone has hurt you. This is how you are to help someone that doesn't want to work. This is how you are to deal with someone that is divisive. Do you know what that tells me? No one was expecting a perfect community. You don't write these things down in the Word of God if your expectation is the community will be perfect. We don't need to know how to deal with divisive people. We don't need to know how to deal with people that are unrepentant. If that was the case, we were in a perfect community, we wouldn't need these instructions. But we have them because community is complicated. Sometimes God's people are not good or our experience is that, and we carry that as a burden. How do we share these burdens? Bear one another's burdens, a heavy, crushing load, more than one man can carry on his own. And so fulfill the law of Christ. What law are we fulfilling by helping to carry one another's burdens? It's what Jesus was saying. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And love your neighbor as you love yourself. That is fulfilling the law of Christ. That's why we are to love one another. So how do we do that? Simple thing in terms of helping people with their burdens. Number one, your presence. Just, you don't need to say anything. You just need to be present. In the continuation of that visceral Psalm 38, verse 11, it says, my loved ones and friends keep their distance from me in my sickness. Those who are near, sorry, those who were near me now stay far away. Bonhoeffer, in his excellent book, Life Together, says this, Christians have forgotten that the ministry of listening has been committed to them by him who is himself the great listener and whose work they should share. We should listen with the ears of God that we may speak the word of God. We should listen with the ears of God that we may speak the word of God. So there are two groups of people, generally speaking. One that is always listening, never acting, and one that is like, I know how to fix your problem, right? 
And so, generally speaking, we know what our proclivity is. Right now, if you sit and you think about how you would respond to someone coming to you in a time of crisis, what is your response? I don't want to know. I'll tell you what the right one is. No, no. But we, we have our proclivity. But this is important. God wants us to be passively and actively present in someone's life. Now, it feels re- really passive just sitting with someone, right? But just the idea of being present, no, says the marriage and family therapist, right? <laughs> what a surprise, okay? But this is the thing, God listens. And we need to listen with the ears that God has so that we can speak his truth. Brothers, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, which means caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore. That means the same way that we set a bone, the same way that we mend a net, such in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Now, the context here is spiritual failure. This is not confessing temptation. This is not going to someone and saying, please help me, I'm being tempted. This is someone saying, I have failed in some way. And we need wisdom to be able to identify the difference between someone that is overtaken by sin and someone that is pursuing sin. Now, that's what we need to ask God the wisdom for, because the way in which we deal with someone that has been overcome or entrapped or caught in a sin is very different than someone that is saying, I know what God says, I know what the consequences are, but I'm going to continue to go that way. There is a different way of dealing with that, but that's not what he's talking about here. One of the the key things that I learned from CrossFit, one of the few, I guess, as as you can see, you know, um, is, is Neil's ability to identify the difference between injury and, I don't know how to put this delicately, uh, uh, idleness. So one of Neil's jobs as a coach was to try and figure out, is this person injured, therefore they can't do this lift? Or is this person tired? Is this too hard? Thank you. I was going to go with the L word. Uh, so, so in other words, what we're asking God for the wisdom to say, God, is this, is this person just tired or can they simply not do this? Is this beyond their ability to do this? And so one of the things that we do internally is we automatically throw our hands up and we say, this is too hard. And we need coaches around us that, that we can trust that can actually say, Nick, this is hard, but you can do it. Because I can trust Neil, I know that he's not going to ask me to do something that will injure me. I know that he's going to ask me to do something that may be difficult, but I'm able to do. The other thing we need to be able to identify and ask God the wisdom um, for as we help each other with burdens is to identify the difference between immaturity and iniquity. Quite simply put, iniquity is the choice to sin. Immaturity is sinning without realizing what you've done. And so remember, it's the same idea of pursuing sin versus kind of walking along and sin cutting in on you. Now, we are going to help each other and bear one another's burdens with a sense of real strength if we're able to identify the differences in that. In upcoming weeks, we're going to talk about how to confess to one another and how to receive those confessions, how to pray for one another, how to be accountable to one another, and what restoration means. 
Now, resetting a dislocated bone, even if you love that person, and even if you do it delicately, will result in what? Pain. What is the purpose of that pain? So that we can put that bone in its proper location, so that that person can function again. We don't desire to hurt that person, but we know that this is what's necessary in order for that person to get better. So we'll talk more about that in weeks to come. So we're using our presence. We need to use our mouths. Now, how do you use your mouth? Most importantly, you pray. You pray. Before you talk to that person, when you're talking to that person, when that person talks to you, after you've spoken to them, you pray for them. Why? For two reasons. One, God calls us to pray for each other, which is the most important thing. But secondly, it helps you. If you have this proclivity to act before you think, or you have the sense of everything will just be okay, I just need to sit with them, you need to pray for wisdom. Because you need to say, God, what do you want me to do in this? Because prayer will help us from acting too quickly, and it will help us from not acting at all. And so what we need to do is be able to access the Father for the Holy Spirit to be able to give us wisdom in terms of what to do. And then in public, we need to use our mouths by speaking truths to that person that is experiencing lies either taught to them by the world, by the devil, or by themselves. Now, I want you to picture Psalm 40 says, I'm in this pit, and uh, people that are struggling in burdens, they're in pits, and so this is, my, this is the way that I act. I look on top of the pit, and I see Karen's in this pit, and I have this nice big rope of theological truths, and I dump this rope of theological truths, and it hits her in the face, and she's annoyed at me, and she doesn't know what to do with this, and I'm like... This is pretty simple, okay? You're in the pit. I dumped the rope of theological truth in there, and now you can climb out. What's that? Oh, okay. So it's my wife watching YouTube videos while I preach. That's, that's iniquity. That's not immaturity. So I've dumped all this rope down. What does God call us to do? God calls us to get into the pit, to sit with that person, to hear that person, to use that rope to climb out of the pit together. That's what we're supposed to do with the ropes of theological truth. We don't just toss them down there and say, I don't understand why this is hard for you to get that God is good. I don't understand why this is hard for you to say that suffering is producing something good in you. Are those true? Yes, they're true. But in that pit, when that person is looking up, thinking, you aren't helping me, we get down in the pit, we throw that rope up, anchored on the cornerstone of Christ, and we help that person climb out. Simple questions we can ask each other. What is difficult for you right now? What is difficult for you right now? What are you excited about right now? What lies are you believing about yourself? What lies are you believing about God? These are such helpful questions to ask when we're in that pit because then we know what rope to use to help that person get out. Last week we covered this. We use our presence, we use our mouth, 
we use our time, talents, and treasures. And I mentioned this before. You know, when, when, when someone has kids who need help with their homework, they don't need prayer. What do they need? Someone to help them with their homework, right? And so there's a sense in which our time, our talents, our treasures is a way that we can help one another carry those burdens. So now we move to the loads that we bear. Galatians 6 verse 4 says, Let each one examine his own work. So there's a, a, a testing, kind of a forensic investigation. What, what about me and my work? And then he will have rejoicing in himself alone, not in another. For each one shall bear his own load or military backpack. Church, we cannot be like the rich Westerners who think that climbing Everest is easy because everything has been done for us. We have our Sherpas to do the work for us, and we feel like we've done something significant. Now, Load speaks of the backpack. It's what a marching soldier was issued with, the materials that you need for your expedition. And one of the things that we need to do is examine our backpacks. And we need to understand this very important difference. There is a massive difference between comparison and perspective. And so here we are, we're climbing together, we've got our backpacks on, and we're like, oh man, I'm sure my backpack is heavier than Sean's. Look at him, he's just, he's just cruising along with his backpack and mine is really heavy. Or why didn't God give me so-and-so's calves? I ask that a lot. Like, why do I have such skinny calves and no ankles? You know what I mean? Like, why did that happen to me? You know? Those are comparison questions. God, why didn't you give me what you gave that person and focused around me? Why don't I have that? Why am I not like that? Why is my husband not like that? Those are comparison questions. And comparison is immature. Comparison breeds bitterness against other people and against God. But perspective gives us hope because I can learn from others. Because the joy of a community is seeing this, seeing someone bent over with a, with a heavy backpack and continuing to walk says, I can do that too. Asking someone, how are you able to do that? Looking at someone and the way in which they've learned to cope with something is not comparing, but actually saying to God, give me perspective on what I can pull and learn from that so that I can be able to help others. Perspective means that I can learn from others and that I can place my experience within the proper perspective. Those of you that have traveled around the world, you know, we have the saying called first world problems. My latte isn't hot enough. You know, the traffic is too much, etc., etc. And then you go to a village in India, Nepal, or Africa, or China, and you come back with a renewed sense of perspective, right? Does it really matter that my latte is too hot? And for a month, it doesn't, right? And then that perspective begins to wane, and then you forget about those things. And so when, when Paul says, examine your work, he's not saying... Compare yourselves to each other so that you can prove yourselves to be better. He's saying examine your work and take on what is yours to take on. Perspective shrivels self-pity. When you look at others' lives, you look and you see, wow, I'm feeling so much self-pity for myself. Why, 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 why? 
And then we're in this community and we begin to know each other on a deeper level. And then you're like, I cannot believe that so-and-so is so mature and loves God and this is what's happening in her life. And the focus of her life is not her pain. The focus of her life is bringing glory to God in this. Wow, I can learn from that. There's a subtle difference, but it's important. There are three things that our backpacks all contain. Now, we have different backpacks. I know that. There are different things that are required of us, but these are in every single one. Your message, the sense of God using the backpack to mature you, and your mission and means. Message is simple. We all have the same message. And that message is that Jesus came to earth to create a new way of relating to God, to each other, and to our world. Paul says this in a very succinct way. Jesus came to save sinners of of whom I am chief. So this is what he's saying. Jesus came to save sinners. Firstly, he rescued me. And because of that, it is my job to declare the gospel, the good news, that Jesus has initiated a new kingdom. What else is in our backpack is things that mature us. It's funny that personal growth is something people strive for in their professional lives. It's something that they strive for in their physical lives. In every area of our life, we kind of tend to applaud people that want to get better and want to grow personally. Um, But not necessarily in their spiritual lives, because then they just get weird. There's There's this weird mixture of feeling guilty because someone actually wants to pursue God. I can't remember who said this, but someone said that obsessed is what lazy people call the dedicated. And so what we do is we believe that we can... It's not up there. It just came to me. (laughs) What? Anyway. No. Okay. (laughs) See, what you see here is growth. You see... Okay. It is possible. There we go. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Okay. As I said, personal growth and maturity is something that we need to pursue. Now, you can't outsource that. You can't outsource your personal growth to someone else. They can help you carry burdens, but they cannot grow for you. And this is an area that we don't like to talk about. But personal responsibility in the context of our backpack is the means of grace that God has given us to strengthen and grow. It's prayer, it's fasting, it's being with the community, it's worship, it's generosity, it's giving, it's all of the things that God has given us, silence, solitude, all of those things that God has given us are means that we are able to mature. Lastly in our backpack is obviously our mission, the making of disciples. The sphere of influence that God has given you, the gifts and talents that God has given you to be able to shine for Him. It's your job, the baseball team that your kids are on, uh, the music teacher that you are, your family, all of those kinds of things. Remember, we covered this in, in, uh, in our series on vocation. There's, a, there's another uh, documentary on TV called Alone. How many of you have watched Alone, right? Okay, so in Alone, the introverts love Alone. So in alone, you're alone, fat surprise, okay, and, and you have to survive as long as you can. This is the interesting thing about it. You get the choice of 10 things that you can bring. Everyone gets kind of the same amount of things, a sleeping bag, a top, etc., but you get to choose 10 things. 
And it's very interesting to see the 10 things that people choose to put in their backpacks. And now as we are on our mission, there are things that God has given you that he hasn't given her. And that's because he knows you. And that's because he knows your circumstance. And that's because he knows that he's called you into this area, into this sphere, with these gifts, so that you can impact the community in that way. You are a a soldier on a mission. You are a climber on an expedition. And this is the cool thing. If you don't have something in your backpack, what do we get to do? Ask. We get to ask our Father. Like, God, I, I feel like I don't have this. And God's like, well, I don't know what to tell you. I've run out. No. Scripture tells us, even bad fathers, if someone asks for bread, is not going to give you a scorpion. So ask your dad, I'm in this situation at work. I'm in this situation in my relationship. I need some help. We went hiking, not anything like this. We went hiking, and I had this massive pot. There were 14 of us. And it was a pot to cook for all 14 of us. It was, what, no exaggeration, about this big? And we called it bird in the pot, okay? No one wanted to carry bird in the pot, so I ended up carrying bird in the pot most of the time. Put on the outside of my hiking um, backpack, and one of the funnest things that I used to do was I used to, like, hike, speed up a little, and then stop, and then people whose heads were down would hit the pot, you know, donk, you know? <laughs> anyway, so... So everyone hated bird in the pot, okay? Whether you carried him or whether you didn't. But you know what? We would not eat without bird in the pot. So every evening, everyone was super grateful for bird in the pot. And because we all got to eat. And one of the challenges with us is if we are not actively on mission, then what happens is the tools that God has given us for mission that we carry become heavy, and they become things that... Um, that we don't want to carry anymore. There's a sense in which we resent what God has given us because we're not using it. So if I had to carry that pot around without using it, I would resent it way more. Benji, you can come up. We started this morning with the idea of the apparent contradiction where Paul says, "I I want you guys to help one another to carry one another's burdens, but I also want you to understand that there is personal responsibility for your own load. Now, there's a beautiful contradiction in Scripture when it comes to our salvation. And 1 Peter 2 verse 24 says this, Jesus himself bore, it's the same word as bear, it's the same word as carry, bore our sins in his own body on the tree or the cross. He carried those, that we having died to sins might live for righteousness by whose stripes we are healed. For you, me, we were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. Jesus has carried the burden of our sin and shame. He has taken it, all of it. He has obliterated the weight of it. He carried it. Salvation is a gift of undeserved grace. It is not based on our works. It is not based on how well we are able to do. It's not even based on how well we can carry our load. But there is effort and engagement. Because Jesus himself says this in Matthew eleven twenty nine: Come to me all who are struggling hard and carrying heavy loads. And I will give you rest. And you're like, yes. I don't have to carry anything anymore. Put my yoke upon you. Hang on a second. 
hang on, just wait a second. You said, come to me, all who are weary and covering heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. And what you do is put a yoke on me. Now, a yoke is like a harness that oxen were harnessed together. It's a big wooden weight that you use so that oxen can plow. I guess that's what you do with oxen. What Jesus is saying is this, put my yoke and learn from me because I'm gentle and humble and you will find rest for yourselves. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. When we say, I need help, God, this is too heavy. God takes the burden of sin and shame and guilt and he puts the yoke of mission on us. We need to understand the same way that we help each other with burdens, but there's a responsibility for the load. What Jesus is saying, I don't want you to carry sin or shame or guilt. I've dealt with that. But I want you to walk with me with purposeful mission. Learn from me. Because when you're yoked to me and when you learn from me, my burden is easy and my yoke is light. Church, Project Possible means that I can live a life worthy of the call of God because I get to lean on his strength. Because I'm not alone, I'm yoked in a team of oxen, and as long as I play my part, and I'm not some kind of inactive, entitled climber, expecting all the hard work to be done for me by other people, I get to climb to the top, and I get to give Jesus glory. I don't hold a banner that says, I did Project Possible. I get to hold a banner that says, Jesus has rescued me. And I've had the privilege of being yoked to Jesus and getting to this point. I have the privilege of him choosing me, even though he knows how broken and messed up I am. And he chose me to be yoked next to him because of his kindness, because of his humility, because of his goodness. Let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. So I want to ask you three questions as the band plays. Are you weary? Are you weary because it looks like no one is helping you with your burden? You look around, and there's lots of people helping Johnny, and there's lots of people helping Sarah, but you just feel so alone, and you're burdened, and you can't move forward. Maybe you're just weary of helping others. Maybe you're like, God, I'm so tired of helping others. Maybe you're weary because your backpack is so heavy and it's getting heavier because you're not seeing results in terms of your missional efforts. And lastly, maybe you're one of those people that have never asked for help. And I mean never. You've never asked Jesus for help. You've never asked Jesus to come and to be your Lord and to remove that burden. But Maybe you've never been that person that has said to one of your friends, I need help. Let's think about those questions as we respond in worship. Thank you, Nick. I am. Um, uh, yeah, when you landed in the uh, the first Peter passage, I was just. Uh, it struck me um, that you had quoted from Psalm 38, and I, just in a minute, we're gonna we're gonna uh, do communion together, and I'm actually gonna ask Steph to lead us in communion. She had a picture this morning and a, and a verse and really want her to share that with us before we take communion together. But um, before we get up and, and go and get the elements, it just was struck like uh, uh, David saying in Psalm 38, for my iniquities have gone over my head 
they weigh, they weigh me like a burden too heavy for me. And the passage that Nick quoted from 1 Peter is directly from Isaiah 53. Like David saying, my iniquities there are just too heavy for me. And Isaiah says, surely he has borne our infirmities and carried and carried our diseases. Yet we accounted him stricken, struck by God and afflicted. But he, Jesus, was wounded for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. Upon him, upon him was the punishment that made us whole. And by his bruises, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have all turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And Jesus accepted it gladly. He didn't want to do it in the garden. He struggled with it, but he chose to come for you, for me. He's not begrudging of that. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. That joy, brothers and sisters, is you. It is me. We get to come to the table here in a moment, and it's a table of exchange. You get to be reminded that the weight that you carry, he carries it. He, ta- he took it, and he didn't do it in frustration. He did it for the joy that was set before him, which was you and which was me. And maybe you don't know this Jesus. Maybe you have never heard of him before. Maybe you, you carried in here burdens with you, and you're feeling the weight of them right now. There is an opportunity to let them go. And we would love an opportunity to talk to you about that. I'm going to be to my, my left, to your right. Um, we're going to go ahead and grab the communion elements. There's a table in the back, table here, and a table in the front. Um, grab the, grab, if you're a Christ follower, grab the bread, grab, grab the cup, and Steph is going to lead us, uh, lead us in communion together. There will be people to my left, to your right, uh, available to pray with you. Uh, there's a lot of things that Nick brought up today. If you need prayer, someone to listen to you, if you feel weary, there's help. There's help for you. There's help for one another. Okay, let's go ahead and grab. The band's going to continue to play. Grab the elements and come back to your seats, and we'll take it together. Hey, I'm Stephanie. Um, I participated in communion alone this weekend, and it's not something I've ever done before. I've always done it either with a person or in community or in a gathering, and um, I just felt like like I experienced it in a new way. Um, and I just want to share with you kind of what I feel like God highlighted for me. Um, the thing that God accomplished on the cross is incredible. And I was reading in Hebrews, and it talks about the traditions of the Israelites and um, the holy place, the temple, where God's presence dwells. And in the holy place, there's a holy place, and then there's a curtain, and past the curtain, there's a holy of holy place, and in the holy of holy place, there's all of these holy things, and then there's the mercy seat, and there are all of these barriers to protect us from God's presence, because it's too incredible for us to be in. And when Christ died on the cross, 
he shed his blood and broke his body as the final atoning sacrifice that would ever be needed, he transferred that holy place to be us. We are now God's temple. And all of those things that we used to have to do to just be able to even like speak the name of God and be close to his presence, we now get to walk around with him, dwell inside of us as the holy of holy places. And so as we take communion, this is a moment where we can remind ourselves that that's true, accept it if we don't believe it, and cast our burdens on him as we've talked about. And um, so I'm going to read a, a passage in Hebrews and then we will take communion together. Um, Hebrews 10, 19, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean, from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. So God, we thank you for this truth, and we take your body, and we accept that you by this broken body have torn the curtain that separated us from your presence. And Jesus has made a way for us to become your holy temple and dwelling place. And God, by the blood that was shed, you have cleansed us to be righteous enough for us to be your temple because there is no way on our own that we can be a holy place for you to dwell, but your blood has made a way for that to be real. And we take your blood in remembrance. We're running out of time, but I'm thankful that they let me share. <laughs> and that we got to take communion together. So I wanna remind you that if you have felt impacted by some of the prompts today around casting your burdens, around um, the things that Nick preached, then please do seek prayer on the side. Um, and if, if you will also, you can join us in the back as we gather in community with one another. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Mercy Commons podcast. If you enjoyed today's content, please rate us and hit subscribe. And if you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at mercycommons.church.